Well, if you were with us last week, Pastor Jeff kicked us off in our new series, and it's called The Ugly Within. And uh, as we're all living in this ugly producing year that is going to go down in infamy, we are going to take a close look in the mirror and see if we can discern, you know, some of the ways that our own ugly, controlling, and as we said last week, even some sinful uh, things, you know, sinful habits that have come out when we're under pressure. Uh, And I remember last week when Jeff was introducing what this is all going to be about, and somebody in the chat box said, well, this is going to be a really great series. This is going to be heavy. This is going to be fun. Um, You know, and as Jeff said, this is going to be a little bit of a bad news and a good news series, because the bad news is that although in Christ we are redeemed people, right, Um, the flesh still does put up a good fight. And uh, he took us to Romans 7, 15, where even the Apostle Paul, the amazing Apostle Paul, is like, I do not understand what I do. For For what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I do. And so this is the level of reflection that we're gonna be bringing to this series because we all have these ugly, stupid things that we do, but we don't understand why we do them, right? Uh, But the good news is that we are redeemed and forgiven people. And part of being a redeemed child of God is that we remain in the practice of continually reflecting upon what's transpiring within us and repenting and returning to Christ uh, again and again as our living water, our source of true life. And, you know, he's always there and ready and able to restore us to new life again through the Holy Spirit. So with all of that in mind, uh, in just a second here, we're going to jump into, uh, uh, you know, to see what we can do to partner with God uh, to address the ugly within ourselves. Can see you all in the gallery view. Say hello. Gallery view, waivers. Oh, it's good to see you. Good morning. Okay, so first of all, quick heads up. Toward the end of today's gathering, we are going to do something that we've done a couple times before. We're going to do breakout rooms. Woohoo! Who was excited about breakout rooms the last couple times that we did that? Uh, we try to do this once a month to give us a chance to do some small group reflection in, in our Zoom breakout rooms. And uh, it's super fun. The instructions to participate are easy to follow. And uh, it's just so, so worthwhile to participate in, even if you just are there and you don't say a word and you just want to listen. But yeah, I'll give us plenty of on-ramp so that you'll be ready for those few minutes that we spend together. Uh, we're not going to make you participate. You know, we never will make you participate. But we do hope that you will consider it um, because we just don't want you to miss out on the full experience. So, whew, all right, that's a whole lot. Still a little out of breath from uh, great is your faithfulness to me, O Lord, singing. <laughs> so as your director of worship experience here at Marin Covenant Church, I get the privilege of working with all of our worship musicians, uh, our singers, and oh my gosh, you guys, our tech team. Can you give it up for our tech team who works so hard every week? to be your eyes and ears. You have no idea what the, all they put into this. Um, so uh, thanks for giving them some love. So one of the things that we do when we rehearse on Thursday nights, when we gather, we gather in, in this room, you know, in uh, chair hinge, as I like to call it, that's so physically distanced chairs. And, uh, and we, what we do is we slow things down, we circle up and we rehearse. Uh, before we rehearse, we spend some time together reflecting and sharing what's going on in our lives. And on this one particular Thursday night, Davis Dirks, who is playing keyboard today, Davis, uh, and, and uh, yeah, so um, and Davis was sharing what was going on in his life. And he was just talking about how he'd been stuck in this mode of what he referred to as productive procrastination. And when I heard that phrase, it was like, ding, it was like this bell rung, you know, for me, for some reason that productive procrastination, oh my gosh, I immediately knew exactly what he was referring to. But I played dumb. I was like, huh, what's that mean to you, Davis? That's kind of a loaded phrase. And Davis is like, well, I get in this mindset 
where I would rather do anything other than the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. So instead what I do is I do other stuff that I consider work that needs to be done so that I don't have to feel bad about the fact that I'm not doing work and I don't have to feel lazy and, uh, you know, and uh, you know, I, I don't have to think about the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. And as he said this, I was like, in my mind, it was like this KGB spotlight of interrogation was on me because I was like, oh my gosh, product productive procrastination. That I do that every day. Like that's my bread and butter. This is my, this is my home base. Oh my gosh. Uh, so that statement, productive procrastination, it just, it haunted me for a few weeks. And I couldn't help but feel that there was something that I needed to do to take a deeper look at, you know, inside of me. And so upon further reflection, I gradually came to discern that, yay, verily indeed, I do have this coping mechanism that helps me uh, to avoid things. And it, it's not only things that I don't want to do, but things that I need to entrust God to do to enable me to do them effectively and for God's purpose, which is kind of like what my job is. Yikes. So brace yourselves uh, for what we're going to be talking to about today as the ugly within. Uh, it's not procrastination. That just was a sermon illustration. And it's, it's not something that, that you might expect. I didn't expect it. When Jeff said, you're going to be preaching on this, I was like, what? The ugly within is coping, just coping. <laughs> and by coping, we're talking about, you know, all of our silly, quirky, or even the, the uh, seemingly innocent coping mechanisms that come out when times are challenging. Um, we all have them, and some of us, even right now in hearing this, are like, yeah, thank you very much. I already know what my coping mechanism is. Thank you for bringing it up at church. Appreciate that. But when, you know, when times get difficult, we find all kinds of these seemingly harmless, but also, if we're being honest, uh, like some pretty harmful things that we do to ourselves in order to help us feel better in the moment or to, uh, to just to help us feel at peace or joyful or hopeful, uh, even if we know it's only temporary. So here's a working definition for us for coping. Coping is the habitual visitation to the things other than Christ that we task with managing our angers, fears, or disappointments. And what they do is they just keep us uh, coming back for, they give us just enough reward to keep coming back again and again and again. But ultimately, they just end up losing their luster or letting us down completely. And this could be, you know, a, they could be a number of different things, right? I mean, for different things, our coping mechanisms could be different people, uh, uh, different things for different people. But whether it's, you know, comfort food, watching lots of TV or, you know, travel, video games, you know, certain relationships that you might have, the list could go on and on for what these things might be. And on their own, these are not, you know, inherently bad things. They're, they're not problematic on their own. In fact, they're mostly good things. They're mostly just, you know, good things of life. But when we begin to treasure them, like, Mm, treasure them, when we begin to look to them as being our primary source of fulfillment in our lives. If it's one thing that you're like, I can't wait until I can do blank, then they're bound to get us hooked back into this habitual visitation coming back to them again and again. And of course, let's just come out and say the big bad word, right? Sometimes they're not so innocuous. Sometimes these habitual visitations are just full-blown addictions. Well, this year, many of us have encountered a whole new terrain of disorienting challenges. I mean, you know, whether they're financial or physical or spiritual or emotional trials from being trapped at home, all these have just completely annoyed us and overwhelmed us. And our responses to them have included fear, grief, anger, 
all natural emotions that, you know, God has created those emotions and given them to us to react to adverse situations. But the big question for reflection is, what solutions have we sought out in dealing with these difficulties? And have those solutions worked? Hmm. Do our coping mechanisms, do they actually deliver for us? I mean, are they, are they really helping us? It's natural to seek solutions, but just human nature, I mean, what do we actually do to get those things? Do we withdraw and cocoon ourselves away from the world, or do we put up a fight or get angry, or do we just numb ourselves out so that we don't have to deal with stuff? I mean, do we run to our old idols from our old life, or do we turn to God? We all have, uh, you know, we all know what our coping mechanisms are, and they, we could probably identify them right now. But what we need to do, what we need to ask ourselves is, why do we do what we do? That's that question that Paul was getting at in Romans 7.15. Now, just to clarify, you know, of course, we've got the full-blown big bad addictions, uh, you know, that we're all familiar with. And we could think of what those would be, you know, like, you know, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, the sexual addiction, pornography, tobacco, uh, all of those types of things. And we think of those as the biggies, like, whoa, those are the big addictions. And people in recovery talk about when they're entangled by these kinds of addictions, they just sort of carry with them um, this silent shame on their own. But then if we're people that don't wrestle with those addictions, with those big bads, then we tend to look at our cute little, uh, you know, isn't my coping mechanism, isn't it cute? I'm just quirky, you know? Uh, we look at those and we, we're like, at least I don't have this big, big addiction problem, you know, that comparative uh, idea there. But what, uh, what about the less harmful things that we turn to in order to fill us up when we feel dry or empty, so that we just don't have to deal with God's reality that's happening all around us. Some of these types of coping mechanisms are actually celebrated, right? I mean, like, you know, if you have really excessive work habits or this insatiable drive for success, or if you have a, a really impressive online persona, people are like, whoa, that guy, that, they're getting after it. I wish I could be like them. Or, you know, if you're a really organized person, Things like that are just celebrated around us, but just like those big, bad, full-blown addictions, they are similar in that they're only going to deliver when we sustain them in our own power, right? In our own energy. And when they let us down, we fail to sustain them, or we, we feel, it makes us feel shameful and hopeless and empty, which in turn drives us even further from God, which, uh, like Jeff said last week, you know, if we're driven further from God, let's just say it, that is, that's sin. That's sin. We find ourselves uh, in sin when we're operating outside of God's perfect plan for us. It's completely lifted that from Jeff's sermon from last week. It's so good. God's perfect plan for us. So super quick example here. Uh, a few years ago, I found this really great to-do list app. And, um, and it made life so easy to be organized and productive. And for a few months in that, I remember this, it was like 2014, I soared I soared in productivity. <laughs> and I was telling everybody about this app. I'm like, oh my gosh, you got to get this. I told Benzie about it when he showed up here. I was like, this, this app is going to change your life. Well, ultimately, I became so proficient at putting things on that list that I wanted to accomplish that I painted myself into a corner, so to speak. And I had created more work for myself than I was ever going to be able to keep up with. <laughs> so ultimately, I had to start, you know, this thing that I had started out so victoriously in it ended up spiraling into this shame of being all talk and not enough action, which of course wasn't really true, right? I mean, that's just the story that I told myself about it. Uh, but after some personal reflection, I recognized that 
I think I need to actually abandon being a list maker. You know, to-do lists, list making apps, are they bad? Of course not. That's not what this is about. In fact, some of you actually need to get a list app. All right? Looking at you. Uh, <laughs> you know, so list apps are great. So that's not the problem. The bottom line is, and this is the bad news part of the sermon, the coping that we're talking about here, and listen to this, it's really just choosing something else so that we don't have to live by faith that Christ is going to supply our every need. All right? And so the bummer is uh, even more of a bummer. It's not just being not helpful. It's actually a sin, and it's called idolatry. Ever heard of it? It's one of the big ones. It's in the top ten. <laughs> so if you have your Bible or Bible device, turn with me uh, to our text for today. We're going to take a look at Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13. It's right between Isaiah and Lamentations in the Old Testament. Lamentations is the other book that's attributed to the prophet Jeremiah. Um, but hear the word of the Lord from Jeremiah 2, and this is a prophecy given to Jeremiah from the Lord, and it starts out that th- with, this is, what, <clears throat> excuse me, this is what the Lord says. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Yikes. (laughs) So quick context here for Jeremiah. This will be really fast. In the 8th century BC, the Assyrian Empire, Empire had come in and they had captured the northern kingdom of Israel and they'd taken them into exile. And while Assyria left some of the people of Israel in place, because that was the, you know, the practice of invaders, to leave behind the people that you don't want, like they're no use to you, so you leave them. So those people that were left over, they had become assimilated with the other local tribes in the, in the, in the region. And so what's happened is this major life-altering catastrophe has taken place And as a way of coping with the situation, those people of God that remained in the region, they didn't band together as God's people, but in their desperation for provision and protection and of their own individual interests and for comfort that they could immediately see, they put their hope in other tribes of of people and in their Baals, their false gods. And now in our minds, or at least in my mind, when I read the Bible and I think of, you know, people uh, worshiping false gods, I think of it as like worship, like we did, you know, like in their heart, they're somehow worshiping these false gods. But these people of Northern Kingdom of Israel, they already knew that they were false gods, right? So it wasn't much, uh, so much their actual belief that these false gods had, were real or that their belief had changed, but it was more that this remnant of Israel had settled for a gratification of their immediate felt needs that they found not in their Lord, but in their new allegiances uh, with these other tribes. And so God asked them in the question, and this is through Jeremiah's oracle, he's, God says, has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. And so my reinterpretation of this is God saying, really, Israel, are you serious? None of those tribes have ever changed their gods and their their gods aren't even real, but here I am, I'm the real God and you've exchanged me for gods that you know aren't even real. Like it's not even logical. So what's happening here is Yahweh is like, all right, you guys have this ugly within 
that I want you to reflect upon and see if you can get in touch with this ridiculous trade that you've made. And in verse 11b, he says, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for, worse, uh, for worthless idols. And this worry for glory that's used here, kabod or kabod, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I haven't had Hebrew yet. But it's the same uh, word that in the Old Testament that uh, speaks to God's glory. It was the same glory that Moses asked God if he could see back on Mount Sinai. Remember, he said, God, will you show me your glory? And it's a glory that speaks of God's copiousness or his more than adequate supply. And it's this grand and wonderful kabod, this glory power that Israel has exchanged for that which is worthless, something that's empty and useless. And in those times when God's glory seems so far out of reach, we could totally understand, right? When, when you don't sense that God is near you, we can understand making a dumb mistake or a poor mistake in exchanging God's glory for something that maybe actually has power. But here, faced with their you know, decimation of their land and their society, God's people had just completely given up. Like they, they gave up and they'd exchanged God's glory for something that they know is worthless. And verse 12 says, be appalled at this. Remember, this is the Lord talking. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. So just in case we're feeling like, oh, my coping mechanism's not that big a deal. I, I don't see what the big deal here. God's like, no, this, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I don't think you really realize what you've brought down on yourselves. And then in verse 13, he says this chilling thing. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And just as a side note, in spite of Israel's abandonment of God's glory, like how does the Lord still refer to them? Anyone in the chat box? How does he refer to them? He refers to them as my people. So Israel may have done something completely ugly and stupid again, but the Lord remains faithful to them. So that, you know, he's the God of covenant, like we just sang. All right, so let's break this down here. Israel is guilty of two evils, right? Number one, they have forsaken their God, Yahweh, their spring of living water. And this is their God who had faithfully brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. And the one that had cared for them in the wilderness, miraculously, I might add, a number of different times. And time and time again, he just saves their butts and delivers them and doesn't smite them when they were just behaving like reckless wild idiots. And this God, their spring of living water, the very source of life and provision and refreshment and all that could possibly be good about being in the desert, this God they have forsaken. And later in the New Testament, Jesus, of course, is going to use this phrase, the living water, when he speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well in uh, John chapter 4, where he refers to himself as the living water, a wellspring of, of water springing up to eternal life. And that's our Jesus that we worship. Israel has forsaken their God, their spring of living water. So that's their major sin, number one. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. So now all over the Middle East, in the desert, there are these cisterns that people have constructed. Um, you know, they've built them for thousands of years in order to hold water 
so that they, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of a last resort for people who are trying to live in the wilderness and can't find a good source of water. Because with living water, it's constantly flowing like a stream or whatever, it's far more likely to be pure and clean and life-giving, all those things that you need water to be, right? One challenge that, that uh, living water poses, however, is that it, it, you have to return again and again and again to it to be refreshed and, and sustained. Cisterns, on the other hand, they're these man-made, last resort water receptacles where you can fill them with the water that you need so that you don't have to return again and again and again to the source of living water, which could be a stream or, or a river that's miles away, right? So you can imagine that in times of trouble, those who have a cistern, they might feel like they've got all that they need and stop their habit of returning to the living water. They might consider that, you know, Think of all the effort it takes just to return again to the living water all the time, every week. And then look at their sister and they might look at their sister and be like, no, I think I'm good. Like, I'm just gonna live here with my cistern that I filled up. But there are problems associated with these cisterns that we dig. First, the water in them is not actually living water, right? So it's stagnant. It doesn't move, it's not alive. It might suffice for a time, but ultimately it can be polluted or even poisoned by your enemies and bacteria sets in. And you can imagine the desert sun is baking this water. So yikes, it just is a mess. And, and then the, what makes it worse is they leak. Your cisterns leak. So though you might put a whole lot of effort into filling it up, but it, in the end, it ends up all leaking away. And to repair it, you have to get down there. You know, you got to muck out all the gunk that's built up on the bottom. And you can imagine it's probably pretty freaky to be like, oh my gosh, we've been drinking this? This is what I've been drinking? It's pretty horrific when you actually see what's at the bottom. And they, but then, after you do that, you have to patch up the leak. And then after you patch up all the holes, you still got to refill it again. So here's this device that was designed to be a convenience and it actually ends up being a bigger problem for us. So this cistern image, it paints this sad metaphor of how God's people in their sin of idolatry, of joining with these other tribes for provision and protection and worshiping these false gods that they know are false gods, they've not only exchanged the Lord's living water for cisterns, but they've actually embraced the folly of these broken cisterns that can hold no water as their living hope. And guys, isn't this what we do with our silly little coping mechanisms and addictions? I mean, if we're really being honest, isn't that what we do? Because instead of choosing to look only to Christ as our living hope, we fill up our metaphorical cisterns with these counterfeit sources of the living water that, can only, uh, that only can provide, right? So I'm not gonna list out here the things that, uh, you know, list, we're not gonna list out the coping mechanisms. We're not gonna say these things are bad. Because the simple reality is uh, what might be a cistern of coping for me might actually be life-giving for you. I mean, it's not my job to point out uh, where I think you need to change, but what this series, The Ugly Within, is really about is about making steps toward Christ through the relational gifts that God gives us in order to get us back to more closely resembling God's perfect plan for us. So church, hear this invitation to reflect. Ask God, what is it that you fill your cistern of cope with. And think about the things that you habitually reach for when the pressure is on. And if you're not sure, just go to God and, and ask him to reveal it to you. You might be surprised at what that ends up being. Just like I was surprised with the whole productive procrastination thing, right? And then be honest. Just be honest with God. 
I mean, if you think you already know what this thing is that you choose instead of choosing God's kebod, glory, power, then just go ahead and just say it out loud to God. Just confess it. He already knows. It's not a secret. (laughs) Just be honest with yourself and with your Lord and he'll be happy to hear you confess it. And in fact, do yourself a favor and cast off any, in fact, I'll say that again. Do yourself a favor. If you have baggage with confession, cast that off. Confession, guys, is a gift from our Lord. And nothing gives God more joy than to know that, uh, you know, you just don't want to be in bondage anymore. After we confess, there's only one thing left to do, and that's to submit to the Lordship of Christ, who wants nothing more than to care for us, to transform us with his glory power, and to be our true source of living water so that we never have to fill our leaking, infested, disappointing cisterns of cope anymore. Now, in just a moment, we're going to respond to this word uh, of the Lord today by singing to God about his promise for restoration and healing and transformation. And what this, you know, that's really what this is all about. And after we sing and submit ourselves to God to accomplish that in us, we're going to come back. And, uh, and at that point, I'm going to have a question for you and uh, to reflect upon for your breakout rooms. And as I mentioned before, we'll be assigning you and inviting you all to attend a 10-minute breakout group for some discussion around this. And uh, you know, like I said you know, before, we've, we've done this a couple times, and those who decided to stay uh, and attend the breakout group have really enjoyed these few minutes of connectional discussion and reflection. So we hope that you'll stay. Um, oh, and we will have an MCC staff person there who will lead your group and facilitate that discussion. So, uh, so you'll be all set up there. All right, so guys, when we engage with God in this process of reflection, and honesty, and confession, and submission. What we're really doing here is we're worshiping our Lord. Christ is our God of covenant, our God of promises, as we sang earlier today. And when we choose to partner with God in his covenant, uh, his covenant promises, he promises to transform us. Let me leave you with this promise of God's transformation from Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put, I, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you and to your Lordship today. Thank you for your gifts of reflection and honesty, confession, and submission. Do your transformational work in us today, in our whole church today, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.